Uh, this is with Shane's Letter Square Theatre Podcast. We're back with another one. This one's with Janie Godley. She's fantastic. Do stick around. Uh, if you enjoy these podcasts, you can help us make more by going to www.gofasterstripe.com slash badges and either buy a one-off badge for a pound or buy a monthly badge for a pound or more or just make a donation of anything you want. You don't even have to have a badge in return. There'll be a hundred podcasts by the end of this series. If you think they're worth one pence each, then you are a prick. Go and give us a pound. Or give us more than that, if you, if you think they're worth more than that. But seriously, if everyone gave us one pound, we could make three more series of this straight off the bat. So it's, it's literally that simple. But if you can't afford to give us a pound, then please uh, tell your friends about this podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks very much for watching and listening. Goodbye. Welcome to the Leicester Square Theatre. Please welcome a man who's going to beg you for permission to come. It's Richard Herring. <laughs> Oh yeah, referencing something you at home will never know. Welcome to the Less Square Theatre. This is Richard Herring's Less Square Theatre podcast. Or as some of the cooler kids have started calling it recently, Rahul Astapa. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, it's great to be here. Uh, I'll just have a little look. There's some, yeah, some new people have arrived since last week. There's some... Uh, le- some le- it's been... Wor- oh no, fuck this up by knocking off the... It's all out of focus. Oh, what a disaster. Uh, there's... Uh, I only use it hardly ever. No, it's on standby. No, it's fucked. Uh, I, I, I brought your camera, guys. Sorry. Uh, I, I, hello, lovely to see you. Were you attracted down by the, the talk of these three gentlemen here? Is that what attracted you down? There's, there's three young ladies have arrived. You were sitting over there and you've just, just moved across. But was it to get closer to... Look at him. He's never, he's never been this close to a woman in his life. He can't, he can't understand. What's your name? Alice. Alice, that's a very beautiful name. What do you do for a living? You're at home with kids, that is, well, that is a proper job, isn't it? <laughs> it's harder than a proper job. Ah, I subverted your expectation. I'm at home with kids a lot as well. It's, it's a difficult job, because they're fucking annoying, aren't they? They are, it's the, And apparently when they can start moving around and stuff, it gets worse, right, and they can talk back at you. How old are your kids? Uh, seven, five, and two. Seven? You must have been uh, th- three years old. It's kind of quite a sad story that... <laughs> Terrible. It's, it's kind of fun, though, right? Yeah. Where's the father? He's at home. Oh, no, he's down there. Who's looking after the kids? <gasps> Fuck! <laughs> we were so excited about seeing... He's quite, he's quite nice looking. You're not going to go... Not, he's got no... He hasn't got a chance. He hasn't got a chance. Stop thinking. Don't even think about it. Uh, so, uh, they like... They come here because they like it. That's the... Uh, if you go on the Dirty Britcom Confessions, they, those three just write fantasy. I hope Richard Herring will say I'm awful and disgusting. I'll get... He's, he's got his hands in his lap. He's enjoying himself. So, um... Look, we're going to crack straight on. We haven't got all of... As long as usual. So, uh, will you please welcome my guest this week? She's much better than last week's guest. She is probably best known as Maris McKinnon from River City. That's why we're all here. To see, We're all fans of River City here, right? The Scottish soap opera. Scotch soap opera, I should say. Will you please welcome Janie Godley, ladies and gentlemen. It's Janie Godley. Good God. Good God, it's Janie Godley. Janie Godley. Welcome. Thank you, Maris McKenna. Yeah, I watched it today. It's on YouTube. I was in one episode. It was. You were the main person that episode. No one else had any lines to learn that week when you were in. (laughs) My very first episode, and I had to kiss that main character guy. Yeah. Um, And I was horrified because I didn't want to kiss him. 
So my daughter thought it'd be a great idea to get a picture of him and cut it into a mask and cut a hole and put her tongue through it and chase me <laughs> round the house. You know, like proper acting. And uh, <laughs> and I was just, I was too small. I don't kiss small men. No. No. Oh. Um, yeah, it was... <laughs> yeah, it was, seriously, it was just like one step above a troll. So I'm like... <laughs> He could have been in The Hobbit. I'm like, but no. And, um, and, and at the very end of that episode, there was like really eerie sound and I can't wait, meow. And it was atmospheric. And my niece watched it and I was expecting it to be so impressed. And she went, did you actually see the cat? It's <laughs> like, fucking really disappointed. I never yeah. saw the cat. So yeah, my big entrance into TV and I uh, kissed a small hobbit. Um, there was a cat. It was so, good. Get, look, watch it on YouTube. You play a, a mystic clairvoyant. Psychic a clairvoyant. clairvoyant who yeah. turns out not to be everything that she seems. She could have been. But then she turns out she could be everything she... I don't want to give any spoilers. Yeah. It's it like was five years ago, in... so, you know, you can catch up with it five years ago. Yeah. I had never watched River City, so when they gave me the part, um, I had to sit and go through all the characters and quickly get to grips with it, and then went, oh, fuck that. Yeah. And then just did the show and left, and, and then they've never had me back. I, I suspect... <laughs> that my amazing acting might have put were, them on. You were good. <laughs> I, I think weird. you might have been too good for... I, I'm suspecting that most people in this audience uh, haven't seen River City no. either. That is, that's just... I'm not really sure what we're talking I about. I have to say, though, the set... River City is our Scottish um, soap opera. The set is down in... You should see the film set. Yeah. It is one of the best in Europe. It's huge. It's, it literally is a whole big giant street and I just kept walking about going that really looks like a house annoying <laughs> people and they're like you fucking idiot you know <laughs> and I was like is that a real house they're like no it's a set and I just couldn't stop doing that so I suspect that's why I never get asked back I was no. confused by the set they should have you back you're the best thing in it definitely from what I've seen <laughs> of River City which is just you talking in River City <laughs> About the characters in River City who I don't know, but it, you gave a lot, it was quite a good episode to start with because you tell, you give a lot of information about the people, don't you? In it? So I did, and I was the big boo-boo at yeah. the end, but and then it was just me doing this. If you missed it, this is, this is what I do at the end. That's that. <laughs> that is, there's no point I know, I'm fucking it. impressive, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. Yeah. You definitely need the, the cat there because it's and the light flickers. Mm -hmm. It's kind of got got all the cliches in there. It's good. Uh, so, you are, I mean, you're now best known as a stand up comedian, storyteller, podcaster, mm -hmm. a periscope. I don't even know what that is, but you're yeah. in a submarine or something doing I periscoping. I like to periscope. I periscoped a big um, protest outside District Nightclub the other night. Oh, yeah. Um, apparently, it's District Nightclub in Rupert Street. They refused two women, they said they were too far and they were too black. Um, so a whole big protest started out and I was going to get the bus, doing to the flat. I thought, oh, something's happening, Periscope. And um, they had a whole big demonstration and I got right embroiled in it. Yeah. And it was brilliant because apparently this nightclub was being really fucking discriminatory and fat shaming women and stuff. And it was brilliant because they were having a proper, because the English um, protest very different from the Scots because we use knives. So <laughs> I'm joking. So, they were all being very nice at the sense you can't do that to people, yeah, all that, right? <laughs> and then this beautiful, big black woman jumps out the crowd and she was beautiful and shapely and 
big ass and big tits and she whipped off her coat and she went, come on, am I too much for you? I went, oh, this is fucking brilliant. You know, I had the camera <laughs> and, and it was great. So I got a protest on Periscope on the way to the 88 bus down to Westminster. <laughs> and then I stopped at Downing Street, gave David Cameron the Vicky and carried on. <laughs> it's a good night, all in all. <laughs> It's too far for me, Periscope. So Periscoping's your own TV channel on your phone, basically. Is yeah, that it's basically let's Skype, and it's a, a streaming video. And Ashley and my daughter and I, Ashley, we 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 Periscoped the general election because there was nothing better than watching some of the Labour councillors in Glasgow losing their seat. Practically political porn. I almost touched myself. It was that good. <laughs> and uh, seeing them lose their seats to a woman who's not even a politician. She maybe just ran an Avon catalogue, but signed up um, and she's like all oh, right I'm now the councillor <laughs> that's great and um, we periscoped the general election so it was really cool <laughs> you don't take any shit Jodie no. that's what I like about you so you, you again unlike uh, a lot of comedians you, you had a quite a, uh, a life before becoming a comedian yeah I don't As, know if that's a direct touch yours because you clearly get some dirty yeah. virus well I might I've still haven't been sick yet so yeah. I might be alright uh, but uh, so you were do you I mean yeah. You've, you mm. grew up in Glasgow and... Uh, and was, I had a life before I, I owned there's, a... There's a fantastic book you've written called Handstands in the Dark. Yeah. Which is still available, isn't it? It's, yeah, it yeah. still sells. In fact, when I started using Periscope, the sales of the book went up, so there's oh, a tip. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Um, I know people all over the world are like, oh, my God, you've written a book. I'm like, yeah, who knew? Glaswegians could read. <laughs> so... Um, I owned a bar before I became a, a stand-up like Lee. My daughter was raised in a bar. We owned a pub. I get my. I was married last Sunday for that was my wedding anniversary for 35 years. Don't cheer. You don't know. <laughs> I was laughing. Like, yeah. What? What are you cheering? Do you know? <laughs> no. Um. Said I don't wear rings and I don't have his name. And I've only got one child because I don't breed well in captivity, as you say. <laughs> <laughs> But we're still married, and uh, we owned a pub for 15 years in one of the roughest, most depraved parts of Glasgow. I don't know, at 18, I thought, yay, this will be a cool career move. <laughs> I was a kid, I didn't know. I, just, yeah. I was just a teenager. I can't imagine putting Ashley into that situation, but I thought that was okay. Well, and he was, he was from a big gangster family in, yes, in Glasgow. Yeah. He was the nice. There were six brothers, was there? Seven. Seven brothers. Seven. His mum had a son, a son, a son, twin sons, a son, a son. And then she died, I'm presuming, of boredom. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> I didn't know there were gangsters. I just thought, what a bunch of organised men. I just, <laughs> <laughs> Nobody says hi. We're the gangsters, come on in. <laughs> um, I just thought, oh, that's quite an interesting bunch of men in your family. And, um, yeah, it, it was weird. I think what's weird is the, the politics. I, I mean, you say gangster, people assume immediately they were drug dealers. They weren't. My father-in-law did not sell drugs. He was a robber and a murderer, so don't get that mixed up. Because <laughs> I don't want you to think he's a dirty drug-dealing bastard. <laughs> Yeah, because there is a difference morally, isn't there? So, uh, <laughs> I don't know if he murdered MD. I'm joking. Uh, I don't know. So, um, <laughs> it's not like you're introduced to them like that. You kind of, it's, it's like the Von Trapp family. You're like, oh, really? You all can sing and dance. No, <laughs> it was a kind of slow realisation. But the, the politics he'd been in was such a bunch 
of men. And it's funny because people say things like, oh, you know, you shouldn't work with this person, they're misogynist, or you shouldn't do that. The absolute. It's, I owned a pub in the East End of Glasgow, I married into a gangster family and I work in comedy for fuck's sake, don't tell me how I should be dealing with misogyny, seriously. And it, it was really, the dynamics of that was weird because my father-in-law was a typical big Glasgow man who had seven sons and he, it was very Shakespearean at times, you know? Yeah. He would, you know, he would, if I ever had an argument with my husband, he would say, come on up and speak to me. And I was like, okay. And then he said, you know, if you ever get fed up with him, I'm like, where is this going? <laughs> you know, you could always come here. I'm like, you're genuinely saying that when I'm finished fucking your creepy mental son, I'm gonna come here and start sleeping with you? Do you think I've fell and banged my head en route to this house? And that was genuinely what he was doing. He was creepy. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna go back to your mental son. That's fine. <laughs> and it took me a wee while to realise, but it was that power struggle thing where, you know, he, he would, he was quite, they passed women around each other, the, the other brothers as well. Yeah. And it wasn't, it, it sounds weird me saying this now and you thinking, well, what did you say about it? When you're in that and you don't really know what that is, and it's not until I left and then I look back and go, was that in a cult? What, what the fuck was I thinking? Why did I not say something then? And, and that was the, that's the weirdest thing about it. Yeah. It's not until you leave it and you look back and go, what was that? And, and then you realize that it was, it was bad and wrong and, and politically mental and socially stupid. And you think I should have said this or I should have did that, but I didn't. I was a teenager married into a mental family, so... <laughs> and to make matters worse, my husband had autism and Asperger's. I never knew that's what he had. I thought he was just a Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> I should have known. His nickname was The Professor. <laughs> but I didn't know. <laughs> But you did well. There was. Uh, it's a. It's a very. It's a great book because it's. Mm. I mean, it's. There's a lot Thank of tragedy you. in there, but it's very. Yes. It's very. Po and it's positive. I think. It's, you're, you know. You're not. Even though awful things happen to you in your mm -hmm. life, mm -hmm. you not. You don't come across as a, a victim. You're not. No. You know. You're. You're. I think that it's hard to. He's getting to a point where I, I was sexually abused and raped and beaten up as a child, and then I married into a gangster family, and then my mother was murdered, and then my brother died at AIDS, and I haven't even killed a gypsy in a past life, <laughs> and all of that all seems horrible and bad. But I actually had a, a happy childhood, which is weird. I know it's yeah. hard to explain, but I did. I was very much loved. My dad loved me, still alive, and he was always really kind to me and told me that I was bright and I was going to be a great artist and I was going to be a great writer and I was nurtured and loved. So I think that the, the lesson we can take is, it's no matter how much shit's happened to you, if your parents love and nurture you, there's a part of you will always be able to survive an awful lot. I think that was the only thing that I took out of that. Yeah. Everybody is stunned. I'm so sorry. <laughs> You're all looking at me going, oh my God, shall we give her a hug? Don't, I'm fine. I grew up married into a gangster family and they got him killed for my birthday and all I wanted was a bracelet. <laughs> <laughs> so 
but yeah, it, it's true. He was right. You are an amazing writer because you write a blog as well. Yeah. And, but the book's beautifully written. But the blogs, oh, you know, the, I guess I write blogs, and I know yeah. that you write blogs very. One right. I haven't blogs written as many quickly. recently, but no. I have been right. I did write for whole ten years, one every day. Then yeah. I get bored of it. <laughs> I did. I've carried on. Well, I, I've got bored of it, but I, get, I, I carry on through the boredom. But you know, I think because you know, you write. You know, I know that one writes a blog, blog very quickly. It's not yes. like it's not like writing a book. But when you when you go back and read your blogs, they are very considered and very poetic oh, and thanks. very interesting. You know, and there was you wrote something maybe it was on Facebook about. Uh, a young lad stepping in to, to stop a girl getting harassed by some guys, a nerdy guy stepping in. Oh, and on then, the tube two yeah. weeks ago. It was beautiful, it was wasn't lovely. it? Yeah, yeah. It was a beautiful thing, because normally everything I write is like death and destruction <laughs> and murder and hatred. And this most beautiful thing happened. I was on the Glasgow Underground. It just goes in a circle, our tube, and it's great. Um, and I live near uh, a private school called the Glasgow Academy. Um, and the girls there, and my daughter went to a private school as well, and it's real, the reason I mention that is up until they're 18, they still have to wear a school uniform. And there is that weird dichotomy of an adult woman, because I was married at that age, <laughs> but she's in a school uniform, and there was this girl sitting just across, and she was so beautiful. She, I didn't mention all the details in the book. She was mixed race, and she had these beautiful eyes, and you know when you just see a young teenage woman, and you're like, God, she looks so beautiful and bright, and she exuded confidence, and she'd big dimples and I was looking at her going, oh wow, you, you look like you've got it together. And then these two wee Glasgow neds with the shell suit and the came on and I thought, oh fuck, that's that ruined then. And as soon as they said, you couldn't help but look at her, she was just full of confidence and everything and these wee Glasgow neds were like, hey doll, you are right doll, you your school uniform for porn or something they said, right? And she just looked at them and I thought, if they say one more thing, I'm going to punch them in the face. Because I can do that. I'm that age. I'm premenopausal. I've stopped small. You know, I could say that. And I like a fight. So and I'm like, fucking, I'm in. And just before I went to say something, there was a boy stood up. And you know that, you know how boys and girls at that age are mature differently? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, at 15, you probably still had stickers on your bike, and there was girls at 15, like, with a bra and going to a club, and you're still like, check my stickers on my bike, you know? Long after 15, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I do, yeah. So this boy was like the same age as her, but you know when a teenage boy has grown too much too quick and he just looks like an Alsatian that hasn't quite grown into his legs yet. It was all legs and arms, God bless. And he had the exact same school uniform and he had that Andy Murray hair that will never be fixed, you know? You know what I'm saying? Andy's hair's just like, it's fucked. We can do nothing with it. That is what it is, right? He had that hair and he had braces on his teeth. God, and he had spots all the way up around the side here where they get the acne. And he was just the most awkward boy in the world. And he immediately, when these boys started, I was just about to step in and this big, gawky, lanky boy leaned over and he went, guys, don't be disrespectful to women. Who raised you to speak like that to women? And all the women in the tube went, wow, you knock it out. <laughs> and this young boy obviously took him all his courage to do this and then he looked at the girl and the girl smiled at him and I swear to God, the tsunami of hormones almost. <laughs> Everybody, adults in the tube like you, like you, all, we all went, wow, you know. <laughs> 
<laughs> and she smiled and she had these big dimples and they shook hands, but she held on his hand. He went pink right up until, <laughs> and it was just this beautiful moment of, he's obviously always wanted to speak to her and here he got to be her fucking gladiator, you know? And they chatted and everybody in the tube was like this. <laughs> the two Neds couldn't speak their li- uh, uh, <laughs> and then the boy got off the same stop as me and we walked to Buchanan Street and then we went to Glasgow Central I was, and he was in the whole step and you know all the way to Glasgow Central he smiled the whole way and I'm thinking oh god love you You've j-, and he was texting his friends obviously going finally spoke to Triona whatever her name was, it was a lo- and it was a lovely yeah. blog to write because it was filled such hope and we all remember that teenage moment, you know, and oh god it was so lovely, it, it was is nice. lovely, but it's also the fact you spotted it and observed it then wrote about it as well, mm. you know, a lot of people would see that and let it go, but yeah. it's, to, it's just, well you, you know, you just did it very M- Maybe I shouldn't always do that, because as you know, the Tim and Freya debacle, yeah, yeah, I should have shut my fucking mouth sometimes, <laughs> you don't know, but I was <laughs> on a train from Gla- London to Glasgow, sorry, Glasgow to London and a couple started arguing and I started tweeting their conversation <laughs> and <laughs> I started taking pictures of them. <laughs> My daughter quickly phoned me and went, get the pictures down, it's illegal. I was like, okay. And I thought, why is she saying that? But I didn't know that the hashtag Tim and Freya thing had taken off and it went viral while I was on the train because I wasn't looking at my tweets. I was just going, he said, she said, he said, she said, he tunnel. He said, she said, he said, she said. And then it wasn't until I got off the train that I realised that it had gone completely viral around the world and thousands and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds <laughs> of thousands of people had been tuning in and Ashley Colby, when I got to King's Cross or Houston, whatever it was, she went, I hope you're fucking pleased with yourself. <laughs> You've just exposed two people's life. And it made me think about, well, should we? And the press contacted me and said, um, it was the Daily Mail contacted me and said, um, do you think that what you did was morally right? I went, you hacked a dead kid's phone, get fucked. <laughs> or news to the world, whoever it was, you know, <laughs> get fucked. You, you take up shots of Jordan's skirt, you take pictures of Suri Cruz and talk about her beautiful legs, go away. So they never spoke to me again. So. <laughs> but yeah, I shouldn't have did that. No, but you, you kind of, I think with this, that's the thing with the mm. internet ages, you're sort of living and learning as you go, but it was very entertaining as well, so, so did it become, has it become like not a play exactly? Yeah, it was, it was a, yeah. Ashley took the, tran- my daughter Ashley yeah. took the transcript of all the words and she made it into a play, right. and we put it on for one day at the Edinburgh Festival, and we cast it, and we put it together, and she did the music, which was Rachmaninoff's music, which was Brief Encounter. Oh, yes. and she did it as a thing to ask if anybody recognised what the music was. And only one person got it, you know, Mike McShane, the actor, yeah. he was in, he went, it was Brief Encounter! <laughs> you know, yeah. But yeah, we did, we put it on as a play, so it worked out quite well in the end. But I did realise that other people were using it as a play. In New York, a lot of theatre groups take it with oh, really? my fucking permission. Uh, um, but then again, I stole it off two people I saw on a train, so... <laughs> yeah. It's, it's yeah. hard to argue. My wife, who's a big fan of yours, oh, was uh, was saying the thing she liked in uh, your show was well. You're talking about Twitter because we're talking about social media. But you're talking about Twitter and how um, well the trolls on Twitter. Mm-hmm. But you're talking about Caroline Credo Perez and, mm-hmm. and getting her getting all her media mates into help yeah. her when that happened to her, but that doesn't happen to you. No, I, I think it's not just me. It's just there's a two-tier... Uh, one of the things I hate, and I don't know if you guys hate this, but it's one of my big bugbears of society, is there's a law for one and a law for other. 
whether, however that affects any part of your life irritates me. It's like if you can walk up to a shop and they'll say, oh, it's free sugar, and then you walk up and go, no, they have to chat, that would annoy me. A law for one and a law for another has always irked me. And, and that is the same as Twitter. If you are a complete ordinary person who lives a normal life in a council house and your boyfriend is attacking you and then he writes on Facebook he's coming to kill you and then he posts things about Facebook that you're going to die. If you go to the police, the police just say, well, get off Facebook. If you're famous, they'll come. I mean, the example is, is Tom Daly at the height of the Olympics. He failed to get a gold and to be quite honest, he should have got it because I was I bought into the hype. I was annoyed as well, but not annoyed <laughs> to tweet him. And some guy tweeted you let your dead father down, you dick. Now, it's a horrible, not nice thing to say. It's not, it's not an arrestable offence. Being a horrible bastard isn't an arrestable offence. The police kicked that tweeter's door in at six in the morning. The woman who was being attacked and on Facebook get nothing. I get death threats on Twitter the same year as that Tom Daly thing, and it was Rangers supporters in Glasgow, we have um, sectarianism, Catholics and Protestants. Um, I'm a Protestant who married a Catholic because we like our weddings to have a theme. The theme was hatred. <laughs> and I wrote a thing about Prince William's wedding, seeing a Union Jack hanging out a Glaswegian's flat doesn't mean they're celebrating the wedding. They're probably a Ranger supporter. We're an ugly dog. <laughs> hundreds of threats, rape. They were going to reap me, to be honest, because not a lot of them could spell. <laughs> so... <laughs> that was annoying. So I got the police in, and the police basically just told me not to be cheeky on Twitter. Now, I was getting death threats. So I, I hate that the... And it's the same as recently. There's a Celtic super fan, this wee guy, called Jay and he's got Down syndrome, and a guy made a nasty remark about, a teenage boy made a nasty remark about a football player having Down syndrome, the same as that wee boy. I don't even know what it was. He has been arrested. Katie Hopkins says the kid that had half a brain shouldn't have been born, it should have been killed, and we should be shooting refugees in the beach. She doesn't get arrested. I'm not saying we should arrest Katie Hopkins. I'm saying we should either arrest everybody <laughs> or arrest nobody. Don't make it a law for one and a law for the other. Do you agree? <laughs> yeah. Can choose this law. That's what annoys me. Yeah. No, Either let everybody say everything they want or nothing. You know? I agree. And I think you should let everyone say yeah. what they want. <laughs> so I agree too. The more it goes on, the more it goes on, the more, you know, because you can get into little, you know, well, we shouldn't say this. No. Uh, but then the minute you start doing that, then that opens up a, a fissure and then it's everything. You know, and that's what I think happens. everything should be, unless it's a direct death threat and say, we're coming to fucking kill you. We hope you die. I hope you. I mean, I got it this morning. A woman said to me today, I was discussing the refugees um, coming from Syria to Glasgow and I support that. And she says, well, you know, It'll not be that if a, if a refugee rapes your daughter. And I said, oh, actually, we've got our own rapists in Glasgow. <laughs> and she was so annoyed. And I'm actually telling the truth. <laughs> well, you do... You do life and incident seems to attract mm. itself to you. And yes, I do tend to be the epicentre of do. disaster, Richard. Yeah. 
Yes. So, like, in Edinburgh this year, you're, you're, you're nearly the flat down the road from you as... No, two happened? doors down, a man um, decided that through his own God love and mental illness, he was going to store gas canisters and blow the whole block of flats up. But he killed himself, a poor man, and he set fire to the block of flats that we were staying in. And Ashley's like, yep, yeah, you escaped death again, Janie. <laughs> and I, I, there is a weird thing that I... And, you know, the plastics factory the stock line plastics that blew up in Glasgow. Yeah. I was there as well. Right. Yeah, of course I was. Um, I was the first person to get pictures because I had a camera with me. It was before camera phones and I took pictures of it and I'm like, what am I doing? And yeah, and of course, the most recent was the bin lorry disaster. Last year, I was on the spot just as everything went past and the carnage was on the street and of course yes I was standing right on the street and I'm thinking what is this what's happening <laughs> um, and of course you know um, being a kid or the, the stuff that happened to me and I'm like maybe I'm just meant to live a wee bit more maybe that's the lesson I'm being told <laughs> just keep living a wee bit more Janie but it, it was weird because the, the bin lorry disaster was I don't know what the name for it is but I just arrived on the scene when the if you imagine, if you come to a crossroads in a really busy street in Glasgow and there is carnage, and I won't describe what I saw, um, and there was an awful lot there, but there is no vehicles. And your brain's gone, what did this? Because if you see people on the, the street and baggage on the street and shopping, you look for the two cars that have, you, you know what I'm saying, but there was nothing. And I couldn't make sense see why this had happened. And then the policeman panicked and we calmed each other down and then I managed to stop the traffic coming up Queen Street because it was Christmas and the fairground was there. And I went down Queen Street and I stopped people for coming up. Not just me, lots of other people did. You know, it wasn't just me. And we were saying, don't go up, don't go up because there was an awful lot of mess. And I came home um, and, and my husband, as I told you, he's got autism and Asperger's and I had been out to get Ashley a Christmas present because I'd not got her Christmas. And I went on the news and it was on the radio because I tweeted it and immediately all the day, I didn't say there's a horrible, I just said avoid Georgia Square, there's been some sort of road accident. And when I got home, my husband said, so did you get Ashley a Christmas present? I'd been out for three hours, didn't even know where I'd been. I was blank, I was speaking to Channel 4 and I was white and I was eating a cake in the street and I've lost two hours of my life. I went, well, I was in the middle of a horrible accident. He went, yeah, but you were out for hours. <laughs> <laughs> and Ashley had to say, Mum, I'll deal with this. You mental, shut up! <laughs> she went, you OK? <laughs> and that's what autism is. <laughs> and then he went, I'm sorry. That's fine. But, but you could have got her son. Yeah. Well, you always manage to find you always manage to find the, the funny side of you know yeah. and the worst things that can happen, which I think you have to. A good thing came out of that right. because I couldn't sleep after the. You see, the thing is, is I've survived a lot of things in my life, and I never really was affected by it terribly. I, I was always okay. I managed to survive everything okay, but for some reason. That really floored me and I couldn't sleep and I lost my memory for about two days. I was forgetting things like forgetting where to put my cup, forgetting where to put my phone, forgot names, couldn't form sentences. And even to this day when I discuss it, I develop a bit of a stutter and I can't get the word out. So it was the one thing that affected me. And then I, I, they sent me to therapy, but that didn't work because she was crazy. <laughs> And uh, the, the police offered me 15 sessions and they get paid for it as a company. They get paid for all your sessions of therapy. I went for one 
she's crack a lacking mental. <laughs> I'm not going back. She did drawings on a whiteboard, and um, none of them were good. And <laughs> I was like, uh, I'm fine. Um, and I didn't really cope well. And, and it was my daughter Ashley says, the reason is, is everything in your life has happened to you. This happened to other people, and you can control it. So I mean, that makes sense. So the good thing is, I stayed up all night, and then I realised I was good at painting. So I started painting watercolours, and I sell them on Twitter for the food bank. So I've made about two grand for the food banks through <laughs> having sleeplessness through watching a horrible disaster. <laughs> so that's a good thing, isn't it? <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> I'm not sad, I'm <laughs> not sad, everything's fine. Look at my landscape, la, la, la. Your stand-up is amazing and very oh, funny. And so people, and this kind of, you know, this, I mean, you're being very funny tonight, but it's, we're kind of go, going on the dark. I can hear things. people clench. Yeah, but, but you work with your daughter a lot, which is good. So that's, that's kind of a weird, I mean, it shouldn't be weird. It's sort of weird that it's weird. It's weird that people think, oh, a parent liking their daughter and a daughter liking their parent enough to work together. That's weird. And they go, oh, no, hold on. It's weird that most parents yeah, and children don't I know. feel that. But you do work with Ashley a lot. You do a podcast together and you've done yeah. shows together. And she's been doing stand-up since she was 13. She did stand up at 11. 11, yeah. And then she stopped when she was 13. Um, and she didn't like it much. And then she worked with me and she used to help produce the shows and she came to Edinburgh and organised the show and did it. And she's always been around comedy all her life. And then about a year and a half ago, she went, ah, fuck it, I'm going to go back on stage. And I went, I dare you. <laughs> and she did. And turns out she's quite good and that's annoyed me. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> no, we, we got on great. And we did a TV interview during the festival and the guy kept trying to make us fight. Right. He's like, you must hate each other, eh? <laughs> We're like, no. He's like, I bet you don't really like each other. And I went, do you have kids? He went, I have got three. And immediately at the same time, my daughter went, I bet they don't like you because you don't like your kids. And they went, no, I do like them. I went, no, you clearly don't because you're trying to cause an argument between us. And we, we're not, we're fine. And the minute you do that, she becomes hyper-protective of me yeah. and she will fucking attack you. So, I mean, she might be privately educated and quite nice, but if you've mess me or her dad around, she will take a ball hammer to you, you know? <laughs> she's very protective. And we do like each other. She is my daughter, I love her, I think she's great fun. Yeah. And it's good company, you know, she's great. Um, and when my husband's irritating me, she steps in and goes, why are you arguing with somebody who's got autism? And I'm like, because he's annoyed me, let it go. I'm trying to get dinner made. And I'm like, oh, okay. So she kind of parents us as well, <laughs> which is probably wrong, but it's my life. <laughs> have, you, have you tried to do this have you tried to do your family as a sitcom or a, have you ever pitched this as a sitcom well we did in America we yeah. did it in LA we pitched it but Ashley did it more successfully she wrote a pilot called Conundrums My Dad Says because you know she's a William Shatner fan yeah. and it was a homage and William Shatner tweets her all the time so she's over the moon and that's why she doesn't have a boyfriend <laughs> so <laughs> She wrote a radio pilot called Conundrums My Dad Says, and it was about a guy that lives with his father who's got autism. Right. And it was really good, and, and uh, it got aired on BBC Radio Scotland, and they're looking at it to make a series, hopefully. Cool. So she's done that much more successfully than me, because she went to university and got a degree in screenplay writing. I never got that opportunity. I had to go to school, leave school at 15, go to work, because I didn't have the charmed life that she has. <laughs> <laughs> 
But I think it's, I think it's like with the, we had Limmy on the last series, who's also from Glasgow. Yeah. But again, is I think you know, there's something about not coming through the traditional route of mm. writers and you, especially through university, which of course I did as well. Mm-hmm. But you know, you come through a certain way and you write in a certain way. Yeah. And then when you see someone, you know, I think who's lived a life in a different kind of life than most people then A, you've got something interesting to write about, but also the way both of you write, I think, is um, is just beautiful. Yeah, thank you. But she's had, a, you know, you've got to remember, my daughter witnessed her parents getting dragged away because they found a lot of guns in her house. Um, she watched us being arrested for guns. Um, but luckily, we always had the lawyer's number inside a teddy bear. Um, <laughs> everybody teaches a kid that, right? And I used to say, when she was small, that's Mr. Bovey. If anything ever happens to mum and dad, you take Mr. Bovey inside his pocket. It's a phone number, and it's for Mr. Bovey. So the day it happened, the police came, they found out the guns, they arrested us. And I said to Ashley, what do you want? She went, I want my teddy bear. I was like, Mr. Bovey, gave her it. <laughs> she left with a social worker, took the number out, went to a call box, phoned the lawyer. So sometimes educating your children is very important. <laughs> she was seven. <laughs> And uh, I suppose, like, well, you've dealt with... Uh, these I just did through the guns Gun. weren't mine. Yeah. Oh, well, okay. they weren't yours. Okay. That's that. OK. Uh, you've, I mean, having dealt with the, the, the people in these pubs, you've obviously makes dealing with hecklers quite easy. Mm. So obviously there's a lot of you on YouTube dealing with tricky audiences. I saw some stuff today, but they can't people... be tricky compared to... No, I don't know. Uh, the trickiest was when we had Jerry Sadowitz in yeah. the pub with that gangster. That was the... We had a gangster in Glasgow called Arthur Thompson who was really feared, but... I didn't find him frightening. But anyhow, Thompson was in the pub in 1984. My brother, Jim, who died, he was a drug addict, AIDS and stuff. He was crazy, but he was brilliant fun. And he brought a guy called Jerry Sadowitz into the pub, and he went, as my mate Jerry, does a bit of car trick and music um, and magic. And he went, I don't, I just do magic and comedy. And I was like, right. He said, um, so why don't you put them on? I went, because we don't have that kind of pub that does that. He went, just do it. I went, okay. So anyhow, we put Sadowitz on, gave me his first ever gig, and he did the trick with the watch and the apple. Yeah. You know, I don't know if any of you know, but he, he says, give me your watch, and then he banged it with a hammer. Arthur Thompson's watch. Whole pub. People just left. People just left the pub. I'm just now standing behind the bar, and springs hitting me in the eye. I'm going, oh my fucking God, he's just barred Arthur Thompson's watch with a hammer. Yay! Bang, bang, bang with a hammer. And then he gave Arthur Thompson an apple and then gave him a knife. Why would you not? <laughs> I'm like, okay, this has got to end two ways. <laughs> and he opened up the apple and there was his watch. Hurrah! <laughs> but for that brief five moments, I thought, ah, he's got to stab that big <laughs> That weird Jewish guy with a funny hat's going to get a knife in his face. <laughs> so that's not normally a Sunday. So, worked out. <laughs> I think that's when I started ever. That was the first time I got heartburn. <laughs> acid. What's that acid refluxy thing? That was that day. And you've gigged in a high-security prison? Mm-hmm. How did that go? I'm Great. Um, did Berlini, did a few high-security prisons. It's funny because the, you get all the, the, the security come round the walls and they all stand there. First time I did it, um, I took my husband with me. Normally he doesn't go anywhere with me, he doesn't like anything. And he sat in the front row and I was on stage and this guy turned to my husband and went, what are you in for, mate? 
And he's like, no, I'm with the comedians. He's like, no, you're not. What are you in for? And I was like, could you two, you stop heckling? I'm trying to do a gig. My husband's like, he thinks I'm in here. And I'm not. I was like, seriously? And that went on for ages. And then just when I was about to speak, at least nine people went, Jenny, am I still barred for your pub? I was like, just, why? I don't own the pub anymore, you know? Mind that time we, uh, we went and stole Hunter's or whiskey? <laughs> um, and, and that was weird. Yeah. I knew most of them. That yeah. was the weird thing. Going, go tell my ma. No, I'm not telling your ma anything. Shut up. So none of them found it funny because it was just information to them. <laughs> That's the horrible thing about being a comedian and going back to the East End of Glasgow to do comedy. They don't find it funny. They're like, yep. <laughs> when I say things like, oh, I come from a place where an oxo cube's a starter, you laugh, they go, yeah. <laughs> Tough crowd. And you were a fan of the Bay City Rollers, like my sister was a big fan of the Bay City Rollers. Yeah, I was, and yeah. I, I met them recently, but I'm a bigger fan of Donny Osmond, Are who you? I haven't met. You haven't met him? No, my pal Monica met him and I was so annoyed. Um, Ashley wrote to his website a few times to get him to say hello, but she says he charges money for right. words, so she says he can go fuck himself. <laughs> so I'm a big Donny fan. One day we'll meet and we'll fall in love and then I'll go to Utah and I'll get new teeth and, uh, and then we'll, we'll be happy. I've had this dream since I was 14. <laughs> Don't take it off me. I'll get there and like a crater will fall because you know something bad will happen. <laughs> What's Donny Osmond doing these days? Is he still... Is he still, still very married to that woman who yeah. irritates me. <laughs> <laughs> He's got like 19 children or something. <laughs> he? Yeah. No, I don't fancy him now. He doesn't look like he could go it, so... <laughs> it looks like he'd wash his hands first. <laughs> It's too clean for me, you know. The it's a weird life for those. The Bay City Rollers are reformed. Yeah, they look quite dirty. They do it, yeah. yeah they take it in a skip, the five of them. It, yeah. It must be a very weird life for the Bay City Rollers. Yeah. I mean, they've had a weird... There's a lot of weird stuff in the Jeez. Bay City Rollers anyway. But Les McCune, who's the, who was the dreamboat. But my sister still goes insane. My, well, know. I met him recently. I yeah. mean, but there's a story and a half. Yeah. I mean, they made it big in America when nobody could break that. Nobody did in America what the Bay City Rollers did. And, of course, like every band back then, they get pumped for every penny they ever made. And that must be awful, you know what I mean? But they were huge. I... I, I liked them, um, you know, the, it was that whole, I was like 14, 15, when they were huge and all the schoolgirls all loved them and everybody, and then I did a gig about three weeks, more than that, before the festival, and I was on with the Bay City Rollers, and I remember I was just sitting backstage chatting to them, you know, yeah. the whole time I'm going, it's the guy for the Bay City Rollers, <laughs> in my head the whole time going, talk to the guy for the Bay City Rollers, and it's weird when there's somebody you fancy and then you meet them, like Roland Gift, who is a good friend of mine yeah. now, Oh my God. In the 80s, I had the dirtiest, violent sexual dreams about Rolling Gift. I mean, I cannot tell you where that went. <laughs> and then he came to see me and he became a fan and we, we sat chatting and Ashley walked in. She went, is that not that guy you fancied you used to talk that dirty about? I was like... <laughs> and that is still when I talk to him and I still yeah. look up and I make eye contact and I go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I have the same thing with Janet Ellis, who I used to be oh. crazy about, but now I'm friends with. Is she with. the Blue Peter? Yeah, Blue Peter and Jigsaw. All right. Yeah. Did yeah. you used to think about I did think about her. I did a lot, and, yeah. you know. Yeah, maybe it'll exist as well. I still would, you know, that she's even though I'm married and she's married. Yeah, if you I'd wanted still to, buy Roland Gift yeah. in a minute. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Please don't let him have. Don't tell him. <laughs> we might. This might be the moment he might listen to this and then. No, go, his wife's my friend. Okay. <laughs> if she's that good a friend. Yeah, she would share. <laughs> she would. She's a very lucky woman to have him. So I, I, I want to ask you this emergency question because mm-hmm. I'm really interested to see. I bet it's not going to lead anywhere. Have you ever seen a ghost? Yes! Yes, thank God. You know my ghost story. Yeah, I do, yeah, I do actually, yeah, I do. I well, I don't know again. if I've seen a ghost, but I was in the, you played that room as well, in the Edinburgh yeah. Festival, there is a venue called The Underbelly, down on the Cowgate. Does anybody know it? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's like a creepy old building. It's where people died. I don't care what anybody said, folk died there. And I think they kept the dead bodies there during the plague or whatever, whatever, whatever. But it's a creepy, creepy, creepy old venue. And it's... The stage, there was a black curtain, and then the wall behind that black curtain there was like that. That uh, literally was no backstage. And I was doing this play that I wrote called The Point of Yes. Excuse me. And it was about when drugs came to the East End of Glasgow, and I played the two characters, because it was never going to be a happy musical, was it? (laughs) So I played the two characters. Cut a long story short, every now and then I had to stand behind that curtain and then come out. The audience are there, like, you're there. Go behind that black curtain stand, wait for the lights to change, come out. And one day, I stood behind the curtain. It's an ordinary day. I've been doing this play. Every single day, there was nothing different about this day. There was this... What was that shit that used to run down the walls? It was God, like no. dust or something, yeah. wasn't it? It was horrible. Um, and I stood behind the curtain, and the curtain was against my face, just so close, and my head's against the wall. That's how narrow it was. And I was waiting for the cue, and then I just... <laughs> Not thinking about it, wasn't saying to myself, oh, this seems creepy. I was just going, right, what's the next scene? Is this the scene where it's taking you? And then I just felt something really close to my face. And I thought, I am not fucking turning my head. Because <laughs> if I turn my head and I see a disembodied face, I'm going to scream. And I don't believe in ghosts, so this is a whole load of shit. But I could feel something getting... And then I could feel my face being touched. And I'm like, please hurry up with the lights. And then I heard this just this voice right beside me and I thought okay I've now got schizophrenia that's great what a time for that to kick in (laughs) this thing was there there was something there I literally just whipped it and went on I I rabbled through the next scene I couldn't and the whole time I was doing the scene I knew I had to go fucking back back there and I'm like I don't want to go back there I was like yeah isn't this an interesting play and then I had to go back and the the next scene I didn't go behind that curtain I just stood against the wall and the techie and my director's gone and I wanted to say there's a thing behind the curtain (laughs) but I couldn't because it was a paying audience so it was creepy Richard I don't know what it was maybe it was my heightened sense or my imagination but something went Jenny I mean it's it's very it's a very spooky uh, place it's just like lots of it's old storage rooms, isn't it? Yeah. The, and the, it is full of damp and really disease. narrow staircase. I mean, the, the, you know, the fear of that place is if anything happened in that place, any fire or... Oh, you're just, not dead. There's, there's no way out. No, there's bars in the windows in case you thought, oh, I'll jump out the window. <laughs> nah. Nah, you're burning here. That's how that's gone. 
like, oh, you can down that tiny, tiny... Yeah. So, uh, it literally has the worst disabled access of any venue I've ever... And I don't know how the fire people... OK, that Ed and Charlie must take them behind that upside-down cow and blow them off themselves. <laughs> <laughs> literally, there is no way that should get a fire certificate. <laughs> So what is worse, putting your penis in a dead animal's mouth or in a living animal's mouth? Which is the worst of those two things? Well... As an, I think you're an arbiter of morality and know the answer to that. I have known drug addicts who have injected into their eye that haven't stuck their cock into a dead animal's mouth. <laughs> so the morals are the best thing. Can I just tell you very quickly, yeah. my, I told my dad, did you know that David Cameron put his penis in a dead pig's mouth? And my dad's old and he's got dementia and he turned to the carer and said, would you make that David Cameron putting his cock in a dead kid? <laughs> <laughs> and I never corrected him. <laughs> I just let that hang. <laughs> and Glaswegians being Glaswegians went, yeah, no. <laughs> they just expected that's what he did. Well, yeah, I, I would put my genitals in a live pig's mouth. Would you, yeah? Yeah, why fucking not? What's the worst <laughs> that can happen to me? Really? Like his arse would explode or something? No, don't care. Okay. Don't care. I don't think. I think the fact that David Cameron, and by the way, he did it. There's pictures. That's why he's not denying it. Well, I then. <laughs> it may be the case. Whoever's got those pictures has has a lot of power. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but you know I, you can't think, deny it. It's, it's, it's an impossible situation because if he denies it, then it still he still looks bad. I think so the reason he, he did it, and I think there is a lot of those. You saw these pictures of these people at, at Oxbridge, as they call it, or whatever. And during the eighties, they had all these shenanigans and people getting carried about and boxes and folks sticking their cocks and pigs and people dressing up. Is the reason that happened um, is basically that they're really rich and their parents don't like them. Because see, if their parents liked them, they'd have went home at the weekend. But their parents didn't like them, and that's how you end up fucking a pig. <laughs> <laughs> my dad loved me. Never stuck my fanny near a pig. <laughs> <laughs> it could be. I think it's. He, he was. You know. He knew he wanted to be a politician at the time. I just yeah. can't see that he would. You know. Do it and allow it to be photographed. Yeah. Maybe he was full of coke. Because <laughs> <laughs> that can make you do shit. The, the caffeine in. The caffeine in coke. Oh can yeah. Really of course. Do, yeah. yeah. Can really. Do. <laughs> <laughs> Um, here's my here's a new emergency question I, I'll ask you kettle crisps are not as nice as they once were have I changed or have they that's not the question that's just a, th a thought if you could travel back in time to compare any food of today with an equivalent in the past just thought I'd change the mood a little bit what time would you go to and what food would you want to taste and compare? You can take back the food you've got now. It can be the same food or it can be like a similar food. Mm. So it can be like, let's see if wagon wheels are the same as they were 20 years ago. Oh, right. Or it can be like, let's go back to medieval times and see what, whatever you like, Jenny. I'm not, um, giving, I'm not giving the rules. I would like to go back to the 70s yeah. and swap or, or taste again and I think it was good at the time, people still hate it, was a Vesta curry that was dried in a box. Yeah, those... Took you about seven hours to boil it. It yeah. was forever. It was reconstituated dried meat with raisins. And, and then you boiled it for about five hours. And it was convenience food. And, uh, <laughs> forever. And I think that would stand up to the test of time to a curry that you could buy um, off a van. 
because you could, you know, get the wee vans that sell yeah, curries. Yeah. Um, I think it would because to me, for the first time ever tasting a dried Vesta curry was like magical. I'm Glaswegian. <laughs> Our diet was just like vegetables. We we had those. That's in, it. With, I, no, I would generally like. There was a program called I think it was called Back in Time for Dinner. Did you see this program? And they they went through the decades with people. Was it Giles and Sue? No, no. It was an ordinary family, and they took them oh. through each decade. And then they had the food of that decade. Yeah. And they got to Vesta Curries. And I completely forgot about it. I love this one that was like a noodle thing. We put yes. the noodle in a boiling oil and it went yeah. and then turned and that, into that's this. That's right. Oh, God. I'd love fireworks. Yeah. And I used to love that. I and love I'd love that to too. have another go at that. Yeah. You, won't believe, you youngsters wouldn't believe what we ate in the 70s. And it generally was. This is the height of unbelievable. It was the height it was of a sheep. sweet and sour one, wasn't it? The sweet and sour pork, yeah. I think, which was amazing as well. I remember eating pineapple and cheese together. Yeah. For the first time. Yeah. And a stick going... But, but the thing that is, was in 2012 in Glasgow, though, to be fair. <laughs> the thing is, people always assume that, you know, working class diets were terrible. But in fact, weirdly, the food we ate back in the 60s and 70s is what middle class people eat now. Because <laughs> when I was a kid and we were poor, I mean, we were really poor as kids. We ate stuff like a tiny bit of meat and then it'd be butter beans and cabbage and potatoes and carrots. Because they would fill up your plate with beans and vegetables. And it's a myth that Glaswegians never eat vegetables and fruit. And that's a, because that was all we got they were cheap and you would get big plates of beetroot and potatoes and butter beans and cabbage and carrots and tiny bit of meat nowadays that's what everybody eats and when I look back that's what we were raised on and actually a poverty diet was quite good for us you know we never got things like McDonald's or fish and chips because they were really expensive we got like really boiled mind you my mum did fucking boil them until there was no flavour whatsoever <laughs> in them you know just slabbery food yeah you could have fed it to a baby, but it was tasty at the time. <laughs> and uh, you've, you've done Edinburgh pretty much every year for since, what, 2002? Yeah, yeah. And uh, you did the Free Fringe this year, which a yeah. lot of people did. Loved the Free Fringe. It was a really good experience because it wasn't about the money I was giving away. It wasn't about the money I wasn't making or the money that... It was the money I wasn't giving away a venue because when we do the festival in the big venues, you know it's not about the money you make. You, you're my accountant, I got a new accountant. He went, holy fuck, why did you give these people this much money? <laughs> I was like, I know, that won't happen again. And I always made money at the festival because I'm in Scotland and I've got a bit of a following. But this year I decided to do the free festival, as did Ashley. Um, and we contacted all the poverty groups and all the food banks and we contacted everybody we could and said, come and see the show for free. You don't have to put money in the bucket. It's absolutely free. Don't have to give us money. Um, and in fact, if you're skint, take money out the bucket. Um, and it worked. People came and people asked for money out the bucket and I was quite happy to give them it. Folk are like, can I get a fiver to get a beer and a bus home? I'm like, sure, knock yourself out. <laughs> and I made more money this year than I had made in the past seven. <laughs> Go figure, socialism works. <laughs> And we gave all the change to the homeless. Yeah. And I told the audience, if you put anything silver or bronze in the bucket, it goes straight to the homeless. I'd rather you didn't give me it, give it to the homeless yourself. But if you want me to be a conduit, I'll do it. But what was lovely was, is all the homeless guys got to know. And then they would come round and they didn't know which door I was coming out, but they bound me. <laughs> and I love that entrepreneurial ship. They're like, hi, Janie. Doug barking, yay. There you go. They got all the change. So we gave money away as well, so it was cool. And you tour your shows around the UK or do you, no you've done not really I do a couple of them in Scotland um, and I just like to travel around doing bits of stand up yeah. I've not got a high enough profile to be able to tour a show because they don't have um, a white working class Scottish woman on TV 
Can you name a white working class Scottish woman on TV doing comedy? There's your answer. <laughs> there isn't one. No. <laughs> People are like, no, there isn't. There isn't one. They don't have white working class Scottish older women or just women on TV. I tell you what, you'd be great on Would I Lie to You? Because your stories are just, um, I mean, yeah. how would they know? <laughs> Yeah. There's, a, there's enough stuff in there. I mean, you could do the whole, you know, next ten series of what I like to still not run out, still not run out of true stories. I think they're just frightened because they always think that I'll swear on TV, but I don't, and I don't swear on live radio. I'm on just a minute tomorrow, um, my episode, and I've never swore on, I've never swore on TV or swore on radio. In fact, I'm the only person to get an apology from Ofcom because they assumed I did swear. I did a TV show called <laughs> Kings of Comedy in 2004, and there was another woman in the show. And, and the word cunt was said, and the people, the Channel 4 didn't even look at the tapes. When they got the apology, they just assumed it was me. And they issued, for sorry, Jeannie Godley said the C word. <laughs> and it wasn't me, it was Ava. And she's completely tall and black, completely different than me. <laughs> but they assumed it was me because I'm Scottish. And then Ofcom had to issue an apology to me. So yeah. I'm the only person who's got an apology from Ofcom. <laughs> and then I called them a cunt. <laughs> but you do write that about that quite a lot, that people expect you, you know, people apologise that, mm. that you're going to swear when they haven't yeah. done that with any of the men on. That really upsets me. I did a gig for the, the run-up to the independence, and yes, I was for independence, if you're wondering. And um, not because I hate England, because I just think that we should be independent. I don't think it's anything bad to say. Um, and we, this woman said, would you come and do this gig for Women for Independence as a feminist group? And I was like, yeah, yeah. So she had like Christopher, Christopher Brookmeyer, great authors, people on. And then she got me on, she went, um, next up is Jeannie Godley, just so you know, she might swear. She hadn't apologised for the men. This was a feminist group. I fucking ripped her to bits on stage. I came on and went, well, fuck's sake, I'm glad she apologised for me in advance. Did you? And every single man had swore. Yeah. She never apologised before or after, but she apologised for me. I literally couldn't rip her to bits. I was so upset because you study feminism. That's your subject at university and you apologise for a woman coming on stage. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> so annoyed. I'm so annoyed. I don't think you're someone we want to cross. I think that is what I've learned I'm, from... You see, that's the thing, is, and I'm not that angry or violent. Yeah. I just think it's right to be able to stand up for what you believe in. And yeah. sometimes people always have this thing, oh I, oh, I always believe in this, and I see this on Twitter. Yeah, but they're the very people that will go and do a gig in Bahrain. Well, don't spout your politics if you can't back it up with real action. If you're going to say you're this or you're that, don't take people's money if that's who you really are, you know? Whereas I would actually do without the money and stick by the principle. And my daughter's like, you know, just one shut up. And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, I won't. Because that's, that's what you should be. You should stick up for your principles and you should back it up. You can't just say one thing and do another. It's that law for one and law for another. It really annoys me. So maybe I do come across as quite offensive and violent, but I'd be the first person to stick up for you if you were in a... Empty fuck you about Richard, I'd have them. Good, yeah. <laughs> But yeah. in a nice way, I'd hit them with some poetry. <laughs> then stab them. <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't. I've never stabbed anybody in my life. <laughs> Actually, I have. <laughs> it was an accident. Okay. 
a drug addict came into the bar and he had a knife and Ashley was about two and it was a Monday. Who robs a pub on a Monday? <laughs> the poor guy was desperate and he said, give me the money at the till. I went, mate, it's a fucking Monday. We bank on a Monday morning. You mad? I've got about 15 quid. And I had, you know, those big, big long knives you used to slice open the cans of pop and it's all that hard plastic. Shh, shh. I had that knife under the counter and I just pulled the knife out and went, don't threaten me. But when I did that, I went, dink, and stabbed him. <laughs> but because he was a drug addict, he bled profusely. So <laughs> blood was everywhere and Ashley was two I was like in the kitchen. And then they ran out and the police caught him and the police brought him into the pub and he's looking at me saying, dare say she stabbed me. And I wouldn't stick him in. I went, ah, it was an accident. He went, it was an accident. And we both said it was an accident, police let him go. But five years later, he came back to the pub and he got straight and he came back to say that that was the day he realised that he had to go straight. He was threatening a woman with a child and got stabbed. <laughs> so maybe it's time to give this up. And he got straight and he came back to thank me for stabbing him. So <laughs> well, I will take care not to offend you, ladies and gentlemen. Give a massive round of applause to Janie Godley. Thank you very much. Fantastic stuff. Thank you very much. Thank you. You have been listening to Rich Change Let's Square Theatre Podcast with me, returning and my guest, Janie Godley. The music is by Pest. Thank you to everyone at the Leicester Square Theatre for all their kindness and to everyone at GoFasterStrike.com as well. They are all quite good. The producer is Dave Cribb. It's a Go Faster Stripe fuzz and Sky Potato co-production. We get on very well together. Thank you for listening. Tell the world about this, please. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. Check out richardtowning.com slash gigs for, if, to see if I'm coming to perform in a town near you. And come and see me and say hello. And say, I listen to the podcast. And I'll go, oh, good. Well done. That's what will happen. Uh, or go to gofasterstrike.com slash badges. Buy a badge monthly or just one off. Or just buy a DVD or a book from gofasterstrike.com. That would be a lovely thing to do. Otherwise, just keep enjoying these for free. That's why they're here for nothing, so you can do that. Come down and see one live at the Leicester Square Theatre as well, if you can. Goodbye. <laughs>